So what I would like to do is uh, a little bit of a review uh, with all of the catastrophes that have been going on for the, well, really, since going back to the earlier part of the 21st century here, and but we seem to skip from one catastrophe to the next. It seemed to me uh, wise and uh, also timely to do this series called God is Great, God is Good, Then Why All This Evil? And so if you've been keeping up online, uh, then uh, what I'm going to relate to you should be rather familiar. If you uh, have not, then this is a little review so that uh, you will have the opportunity to kind of be where we are, right? So, um, yeah, I want to go to the next one right there. Um, so, number one, God is great, God is good. God is or nothing is. So, without God's existence, nothing would exist at all. And uh, there are good reasons to believe that. But next, God is great, and that includes his capacity for self-limitation. So God is great, obviously that's the definition of God according to Anselm, a being than which no greater can be conceived. But I added the, uh, the idea that God is great because he's even able to uh, limit himself. He can choose to do that, and he did that by creating human beings, and he also did that, uh, human beings that is, uh, with free will, uh, he's, uh, he allows you to resist him. He's so powerful that nothing can resist him, but he chooses to limit himself and allows you to rebel and allows you to resist him, which is certainly unwise, but it is also a part of his plan. Further, God limited himself by becoming human in Christ, uh, the Son of God. Okay, So God is great and God is good. Apart from God, there is no objective basis for good. And I probably should have put this here. It was one of the original uh, points in my outline. God's nature defines what good is. So it's not that God does good things, that he follows some outside external set of rules or laws. God is good. That means that he is the one that defines what good is. So without good, we don't have a, a solid objective that is external to everybody idea of good. And so as a result, you have suicide bombers that blow themselves up and think that they're doing good. Uh, you have the United States that uh, I was watching this, this series uh, about 9-11 that's on Netflix. I mentioned it to you guys last week. And man, there were, you know, we thought we were on a righteous crusade there for a while, but if you're aware of many of the things that went on with the United States and our military as we went into Afghanistan and then proceeded to Iraq, there were a whole lot of bad things that happened as well. But, you know, people think that they're doing what's right. And you go back to the, to the Nazis in uh, World War II. They thought that what they were doing was good and right. No, God defines good. And that's why we know that uh, there is an external standard that we need to appeal to, but this is also why the world goes crazy when they turn away from the God of the Bible, all right? Then next, at the end of the Genesis account of creation in chapter one, God's, it says that God saw everything that he had made and it was very good. And so what I said was God created everything with good purpose because it is also obvious that there are some things that are wrong with the earth. Uh, it is, there is evidence of God's absence. 
And what I said was God isn't micromanaging creation. It operates in accordance with laws. But the big thing you and I need to understand is that we're living in a fallen world. That means that the world is separated from the presence of God, his manifest presence. Now, I'm not trying to be a deist, that is a person that believes that God got everything started and then just walked away and he's somewhere on the other side of the universe or in another universe. Um, I do believe also that God is omnipresent, but his presence is not perceivable in the natural. God can choose to reveal himself and does choose to reveal himself. But as the scripture clearly teaches, uh, John teaches this in uh, chapter one and also in first John, that God is invisible. No one has seen God at any time, John said, but the only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known, he has revealed him. And uh, that is Jesus, of course. So if you're going to know God, in any personal way, it's not gonna happen as the result of some sort of natural process. You're going to have to choose to have faith in God's revelation through the Bible and this, the, his ultimate revelation and really the point of it all, and that is Jesus Christ, okay? So I also said, uh, this is a quote uh, from these, uh, these folks that wrote a book about science, that although there's no physical center to the universe, we, human beings, appear to be at the center of its purpose. And that's how we can know that God has a purpose for all of this, all right? And then we had this entire sermon uh, on Paradise Lost, that is, that this is not Eden. This is not the Garden of Eden anymore. Uh, this is not the world that was. Further, this is not the world that will be. My short answer when people ask why all this evil is this ain't heaven, right? Um, this is a fallen world. And the more we reconcile ourselves to that reality, the more we will understand why so many things have gone wrong and continue to go wrong. You can choose personally to receive Christ and be reconciled back to God. And then you need to remain in Christ, to abide in Christ, to follow him. And that's how you can navigate through this world, this lost world that as I'm gonna say today is occupied territory. And I'll get into that just a little bit more. Um, additionally, not only is this not the world that will be, this isn't even the world that could be. If Christians all, and there are billions of Christians purportedly in the world, two billion Christians. If two billion Christians actually followed Jesus, this would be a dramatically better world. Would you agree? Yeah. Of course it would. The way you can make your world better is to follow Jesus. Stop following the world and the cultural currents that are against Christ and start following Jesus yourself. That's how we can make our world better, all right? So we need to reconcile ourselves to this reality that this is indeed a fallen world. Now, last week, uh, I made this point clear, and hopefully you understand that this is why things like Hurricane Ida affect everybody, okay? It's a fallen world that operates in accordance to laws that God has established. But God, as I said a moment ago, is not micromanaging creation. He's not dropping storms and freezing weather on people in order to punish them. Not, it's not that he could not do that. It isn't even to say that he never does that, but it is to say that that is not the norm. In fact, what I said last week was miracles where God uh, supersedes the laws of nature and, and does something that is above or even what we would construe to be against the laws of nature. That's not normal. That's not something that God does every day. But the point I did make last week is that God operates 
through providence all the time. And that is that he perfectly times events in order to accomplish his purpose. In fact, in order to benefit you if you are one of his. That's Romans 8, 28, right? Um, all things work together for the good. Say that. All things work together for good. For those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So what I'm not saying is, oh, everything's going to be all right. If you're not in Jesus, I can't make that promise to you at all. In fact, I can really honestly say that there's a pretty good probability that things are going to go wrong sooner or later. But if you're in Christ, I can promise you by the authority of the word of God that all things will be turned around for your good and God's glory. And my friend, that's going to help you get through the pandemic. That's going to help you get through uh, whatever the latest catastrophe is, because you recognize that as long as you are seeking to follow Jesus, you're remaining in Christ, as long as you're trying to love God with all you are, right? Jesus said that's the greatest commandment. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. As long as you're seeking to, to love your neighbor as yourself, uh, to love others the way Jesus loves you, then you're going to find that God's going to turn everything around. He's going to work everything out. Now, I'm not immune to these things either. There's, there are plenty of things going wrong, uh, and uh, I'm not going to get into all of those right now. But uh, you're here today, and that makes a whole lot of things more right. And so thank you for showing up today. I appreciate it. Um, and there's, there's the, the statement that I wanted to get at uh, from last week. God doesn't micromanage creation, all right? So today, um, the title of the message is, This is Occupied Territory, and, or Enemy Occupied Territory. And I get that from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. This is what he said. Enemy Occupied Territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say, landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Well, C.S. Lewis delivered a series of lectures that became this book, uh, Mere Christianity, during the midst of World War II. These were delivered over the radio. And so this was very relevant to them at the time. In fact, this is probably shortly, uh, either before or after, France became occupied by the Nazis. Now, heaven forbid this ever happens to the United States, but, you know, this is when an enemy comes in and takes control of a country that is not theirs. You know, this is honestly, this is what we did in Afghanistan. And we really believed that we were doing the right thing. But again, if you watch what has gone on in Afghanistan, you'll see that there were plenty of wrong things that went on along the way. And as the result, the population, which was initially for the United States, because of some, uh, some very notorious and heinous incidents that happened with the U.S. military uh, where people were disrespected and murdered, uh, many in the population started to turn against the United States. So it does not surprise me that uh, the, the Taliban immediately swept in and took over. I mean, it took them no time at all because even the Afghan military that was trained for 20 years by the United States uh, had plenty of Afghanis who were not terribly happy with the United States. So what I'm saying is there is all kinds of evil in the world and even a country like ours that is supposed to stand for equality and doing right has per perpetrated some of that evil. Well, we're living in enemy-occupied territory. We're like occupied France during World War II. The Nazis are in control. And so what we're going to try to do is go back and take our, what is ours back because as we're going to find out in just a moment, the earth was given to human beings to take dominion over it. But God's arch enemy and yours 
is Satan. And because human beings chose to rebel against God and fell under God's curse and fell away from the presence of God, then they fell under the control or the dominion of that great enemy of God. And as a result, he is occupying the territory that was given to you and I. And so we need to do something about that. We need to, we need to make a change. So if you've got your bulletin uh, and you want to follow along with, uh, with what I'm saying here and, and write some things down, number one um, is we need to understand the difference between good and evil, right? Um, so I have an entire chapter in my book about this, and I'm going to do this very quickly. And this isn't the answer to number one, but it'll help you understand. St. Augustine said, evil is a privation. That means evil is the absence of good. So uh, the way we can best illustrate that is darkness is not a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. And so Augustine said that evil is the absence of good. Okay, that makes sense. So number one, evil is a privation. Number two, evil is a perversion. Evil is a twisting of good. So we see uh, in Western culture right now, under the guise of compassion, a twisting of God's good purpose and God's good design. We all want to be kind to people. We want to care for people. And so we see people that are struggling uh, with a variety of, uh, of issues, psychological and sociological issues, dysfunctions in their life. And rather than help them to get better, we say, no, that's just the way they are, or perhaps even God made them this way. And so we, under the guise of compassion, we go along with a perversion of what God has made as right. So evil is a privation. It's the absence of good. Evil is a perversion, is a twisting of good. And I don't have a P for this. Evil, evil is just rebellion. It is opposition to God. It is turning against God. Uh, one of these chapters, by the way, all of these chapters uh, I have that I've been delivering to you are on my blog, Dioral.com. And so I had one person that came on and was just, th there are people that, that say they are atheists and they're really not, they're anti-theists. It's not that they don't believe in God, it's that they are incredibly angry at God. And I don't choose to engage with people that are just going to come back with anger and vitriol. If somebody wants to have a discussion and they have an alternate viewpoint, I am more than happy to sit down and have the discussion. In fact, the reason that I wrote or am in the process of writing this book is so that people will be able to have those discussions. But this person was just so horrible and why did you lie? And you know, all of these just terrible, terrible things, friends. Um, and so, you know, we need to recognize that evil is just outright rebellion against God. It's determination to oppose God. And that's what many people who call themselves atheists are doing. They, it's not that they don't believe in God's existence. They don't like him. They don't want his control. They have been led to believe by the father of lies that somehow God, whether they think that's a concept or whether they think that's a political movement or whatever they have decided God is, is not something they want to have anything to do with. In fact, it is something that they want to oppose, right? So as I said earlier, uh, if as we try to understand evil, um, basically God's nature defines good which by contrast defines evil. So all of those three things that I just told you uh, will be defined by saying, well, you know, we know evil is the opposite of good, but evil is the opposite of what God wants, right? So that's number one. Um, 
Number two, and we're going to go through these quickly and then I'm going to get into this chapter very quickly. The existence of God's great enemy and ours, Satan, explains the origin of evil. Where did evil come from? When we go back in the scripture, we see that the first person, and yes, Satan is a person, he's a personal being, Angels and demons are personal beings. They're a different order of being than you or I are, but they are personal beings. Further, they are personal beings who also had and have free choice. And Satan chose to seek to elevate himself above God and to rebel against God, right? And so as the result, he and those who chose to follow him were cast out of heaven. We call those who chose to follow him daimon demons right demigods they they want to say that they are half gods well they were such powerful beings and in the presence of god to you and i they would seem to be gods on the order of the the greek or norse gods and i think that they like to be worshiped in fact the apostle paul said that that's what idols are idols are just demons that are being worshiped it's kind of an interesting uh assessment and since paul was inspired i think that he is correct and accurate so uh, you have this, this personal being who, if we understand uh, scripture and we're interpreting it correctly, this personal being, Satan, who is sometimes referred to before his fall as Lucifer, which means light, was very, very close to God. In fact, he may have been, quote unquote, one of the covering angels. So let's think about the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. It had a lid, this, this gold covered box that contained the Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments written by the finger of God on stone, and those commandments were in this gold box. And it had a lid. The lid was called the mercy seat. And the high priest would go inside the Holy of Holies in the temple and offer blood on that mercy seat once per year for the people. But uh, above that gold lid called the mercy seat were two cherubs. Now we think of cherubs and we think of these uh, these paintings by like Raphael and other artists in the Renaissance. And there are these cute little babies that with tiny wings that are fluttering around. Cher a cherub is an angelic warrior that would scare you if one of them appeared in the room. They're very large and they're very scary. And Satan was one of these. And you have two cherubs that cherubim, okay, so uh, just so you understand Hebrew, you don't add an S to a word in Hebrew to pluralize it. You had an im, right? So cherubim just means more than one cherub. A cherub is just one, right? Uh, a seraphim means more than one seraph. By the way, that's another an order of angelic being. And the word seraph in Hebrew refers to fire. That's the, that's the best description of these angelic beings is that they're just fire. Yeah, tell me that these are little babies fluttering around. I, you and I would be terrified if we were in the presence of one of these. And that's why people have been tempted to worship the fallen versions of these, right? But getting back to the Ark of the Covenant and the lid that was called the mercy seat, uh, they were uh, told by revelation of God, the, the, the crafters of this or the crafter of this Ark of the Covenant to create two cherubs who would stretch out their wings toward each other and look down as they were on the top of this Ark of the Covenant. Now, obviously, these are, it's a rendition. These aren't real cherubs, right? But they, they made the, this rendition, this copy, if you will, of these cherubs with their wings stretched out. That's Satan, except he's fallen. Do you wonder why he's so powerful? Do you wonder why he's so persuasive, right? So, um, his existence 
helps us to understand the origin of evil. Number three in your outline uh, is really just a direct quote from James. No one when tempted should say, I am being tempted by God, for he himself tempts no one. God cannot be tempted by evil and he doesn't tempt anyone. Satan is allowed to do what he does in part because God has brought this source of temptation into the world so that your choice between good and evil is clear. Hey, kid, you don't make it up on your own. You don't just make up good and make up evil. There is good and there is evil. Satan is the father of lies. And Satan is about the business of persuading you that evil is good and good is evil. And that is exactly what we see going on in the world today. Right? Number four in your outline, the name Satan means adversary or opponent or enemy. You can write any or all of those. That's what his name means. Now, what that tells us is that's probably not his name. It's more like a description. It's kind of more like a title. Right. What is his actual name? Who knows? He's been called Lucifer, Light, but that's really not accurate either. That comes from uh, the, the Latin uh, Light, as in he was an angel of light. So we, we really don't know what his, his name is, his actual name. And we have Michael the Archangel. We know his name is Michael, but we don't know what Satan's real name is. We just call him the opponent, the enemy, the evil one. That's all Satan. We call him the devil. And why do we call him the devil? Devil is just a word that means slanderer, right? He slanders God. He speaks against God. He's a blasphemer and he slanders everything that's good. He speaks against everything that's good. That's why he's the devil. He's the evil one. He's the enemy. He's the opponent. He's the adversary. And his name is Satan, right? Number five in your outline, Satan continues to support, sustain, and advance human evil. Now, I am not trying to teach you that um, the devil made me do it. I'm not trying to say that everything that goes wrong is just the fault of the devil. No, listen, friends, the reason the world has fallen is not because of the devil. It's because human beings believed and can continue to believe the devil's lies. He tempted human beings and they listened to him, or at least Eve listened to him. Adam knew, the, knew better. He just followed his wife. He just said, see you later, God. I'd rather go with her, even though she's fallen. Um, so that's why we say that, you know, original sin is actually just outright rebellion. It's not being deceived. Because what we find when we read Genesis chapter 3 is Adam was there with his wife all along while the devil was tempting her and never intervened and never interfered and never said anything. That means he's more culpable. He's even more guilty. And that's why sin is called Adamic sin coming from Adam, not Evenic sin coming from Eve, right? But, you know, we can't point to the devil and say, the devil made me do it. And neither can we point to Adam and Eve. Well, I just wish Eve hadn't believed the lies of that old devil and then we'd still be in Eden. No, he wouldn't because you would have sinned. Do you sin? Then you would have been the first one to sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I say, oh, pastor, but I was raised in church and they told me that's because of original sin and I have to sin. No, you don't. You just choose to. Now, we find ourselves overwhelmingly influenced from the time we're born by this sinful world and we inherit a sinful nature. But God offers himself to you as the alternative to that and is the, the one who can give you the power and the strength to overcome sin. So we really don't have an excuse, especially with the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, to sin. So don't blame Adam and Eve 
And don't blame the devil, and that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to help you understand that he is the origin of that, okay? Um, and number six, the last in your outline there, if you are in Christ, Satan has already been defeated. That's a pretty good uh, solution to our problem. But you must remain in Christ. You've got to abide in Christ. You've got to follow closely to him. So yesterday was 9-1-1, and uh, I posted Psalm 91-1. Whoever uh, lives in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That's a really good promise. In fact, when you're in trouble, I would really invite you to go and read Psalm 91. It's a very, very important and powerful psalm with a lot of promises uh, for keeping you out of everything from the pandemic to a mass shooting to anything else, right? Um, but the key here is he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. You've got to remain in Jesus. You've got to be close to Christ if anything is going to be, uh, is, is going to happen positively, right? Um, so what I want you to do is consider where you stand with the Lord Jesus Christ today. Are you close to him or are you far from him? Are you following your own will or are you following God's will? See, we are so influenced by the devil and his lies and his number one temptation to Eve was, you shall be a God. You can be a God. If you eat the fruit of this tree, you will be like God, knowing good from evil. In other words, you can call the shots in your own life. Can I just tell you this? Grace is offered to all of us, but only if you're willing to give up your will to God. He's not going to take away your freedom. Day by day, you'll still be able to make free choice. But what he does is he says, you must call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. You must say that Jesus is Lord. That means he's the master. He's the boss. He's the one that calls the shots. I need to follow him. I need to do his will. And when I do that, then I am shielded from and protected, not from all trouble and difficulty and trial and struggle, uh, the Apostle Paul said, through many trials, we must enter the kingdom of God. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tests. You're going to have difficulties. But you will have protection from all of that as you remain in Christ. Okay. So number six in your outline, if you're in Christ, then you can know Satan has been defeated. But you've got to remain in Christ. And then you need to resist the devil and he will flee. That's what it says in both both. Uh, uh, First Peter and, and James says it, um, that we humble ourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God and then we stand against the devil, we resist the devil and he will flee. Because he's afraid of you? No. Because he's afraid of the person that you have testified is your Lord. So I posted this picture the other day because I saw it on Instagram and so I, I got it and then I put a little text below it and you've probably seen this picture a million times. It's a, it's a baby cub, it's a, well a baby cub, that's redundant, isn't it? It's a, it's a cub. A lion cub. There we go. It's this cute lion cub. And it's not, it's not the male lion that's, that's behind the cub. It's actually its, it's mother. It's the female lion. And the cub is just standing there just looking at you. And here's this, this mother lion that is looking over the top like, you come near my baby and I will rip your throat out. You see, the reason the devil will flee from you when you remain in Christ and resist him 
is because of who stands behind you. That's why you don't want to go running off and doing your own thing. That's why you need to be careful what you believe. You need to be careful who you listen to because the devil is spreading lies all over the place now. That's why, honestly, it's so important for you to be a part of a church where the Bible is being taught. And there are decreasing numbers of churches that are serious about teaching the Bible these days. There are still plenty of good ones, but uh, what I'm saying is what was once the norm, what was once the standard is no longer the case. So that's what we're trying to do week by week here is teach you the scripture. Uh, now, I've chosen to preach this this way rather than read the chapter. Um, but uh, what I hope you will understand is that I am relating these biblical principles to you to give you the protection that you need. And that's what salvation is. It's not just being saved from hell someday. It's being saved from a condemned world today. You are, you are saved out of this condemned world but you need to follow Jesus. You need to call Jesus Lord. It's absolutely important. Salvation is not just a get out of hell free card that you keep in your wallet, right? It's not like my, my vaccination card, which I got vaccinated a couple months back because some of you were scared and I thought, you know, I'm not gonna get this and I'm trusting the Lord and I'm being careful, but I'm, you know, it's available. I'm gonna go ahead and get it. And initially I didn't post the little circular thing, you know, on my, uh, on my Facebook. Hey, whatever because I've got a lot of friends that think I'm out of my mind one way or the other um, you got friends that will hate you if you get vaccinated you got friends that will hate you if you don't get vaccinated so you just do what the Lord leads you to do but I did that but initially you know you've got the little vaccine card that they give you from the CDC and it's signed and it tells when you got it you know I got Pfizer and dose one was on this date dose two was on the and initially I just stuck that in my truck I'm like I'm not gonna carry that stupid card around and I'm not gonna put the little frame around me or whatever I have told you guys and you know for those of you that are immunocompromised and those of you that pay attention to me and I've been saying hey I think it's a good idea but go to your doctor and ask him but now it's in my wallet because my goodness, are they dropping the hammer on us on this thing, right? Nope, you can't travel on an airplane. Nope, you can't do this and you can't do that. And of course, you know, people are fighting back, but man, I got my vaccine card. I'm like, nope, I'm vaccinated. I'm good. Get away from me, back away. But that's not what your salvation is. It's not, ah, this is my get out of hell free card. You can't carry it around in your wallet, okay? It is a new relationship with Almighty God. It is resting in his shadow. It is dwelling in his shelter. It is remaining in Christ and following Jesus and listening to him as he leads you through this mine infested world that we're in. I mean, you can, you know, I was watching that special and they were showing how uh, these, uh, these Afghan uh, resistance fighters or whatever the Taliban were finding these really, really creative ways of quickly burying mines right? These explosive, these IEDs, uh, improvised explosive devices. And they would quickly bury them. And then they would hit the ground with some, with some water. And then the sun would immediately evaporate the water. And these soldiers couldn't tell that anything had just been buried there within literally a few minutes before they came walking through. So it shows these guys that are out in front of the soldiers with their metal detectors. You see, that's the world you're living in. There's mines everywhere. But the Holy Spirit is your mind detector, amen? Yes. He's the one that will lead you around these things. And for those of you that don't think this is important, listen, 
It's never been more important for you to pay attention to what I'm telling you. Because if you believe the lies of your little friends, you got your little Instagram account, and you're just distracting yourself with all these different things, the world's going down. And sooner or later, you're gonna find that trouble is coming your way, right? So we're trying to save you out of that. And uh, you need to follow Jesus. You need to call on his name and you need to be saved. And you can do that right now. You can do that today. I want to offer you an opportunity to turn your life over to Jesus. Now you need to have faith. You need to be willing to do his will. You need to be willing to call on Jesus as your Lord. That means you're giving control of your life to someone else. You're giving control of your life to him. And you can do that with a prayer. So why don't you bow your head and close your eyes and pray this prayer with me. Put your faith behind it. Say, dear Jesus, I believe in you. You are the son of God. You are the savior of the world. And I am a sinner. I fall short. I fail. And I need to be saved. I call upon you. Be my Lord. Take control of my life. And I will follow you from this moment and all the days of my life. Amen.